0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Chatter, a podcast from The Gist on today's show we're talking to harry baker harry is a former world champion slam poet and a huge fan of maths in the interview we get into how those two things work in combination and how they differ we talked about his ability to recite pi to 51 digits and about his journey from an amateur slam poet to world champion if you enjoy the show don't forget to subscribe to us on itunes or youtube or wherever you get your podcasts follow us on facebook or twitter if you want to keep up to date with what we're doing and maybe even give us a little rating on itunes if you like the podcast so without further ado here's harry baker so yeah harry thanks thanks for agreeing to come on the podcast thanks for having me yeah,
1: it's Very happy to be okay, here. i've
0: got someone like properly famous
1: <laughs> i do uh workshops in in schools and i have a QA afterwards and so often someone would put their hand up and say oh, are you famous <laughs> And it's such a weird question. <laughs> Once I just said yes, and they all got excited. <laughs> but like by definition, if they're asking you that, you know that it's you're not famous enough. Yeah. Um, well, or so if you get like a little certificate or something. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. They normally don't yeah. just want to know if you've got any
0: YouTube subscribers. So. Oh, wow, how many do you have? Do you know?
1: Not, not enough. Too, too
0: too cool to know exactly. nothing kids to be okay. impressed. <laughs> what what sort of number
1: impresses people? Um. Well, it's, it's weird because. <laughs> Already now, for the students, Facebook isn't cool because their parents are on it. Mm. So I'm, I'm relatively down with the kids because at least I've got Instagram, mm. but I'm not quite on the Snapchat wave. And by the Snapchat's you, dying, man. But like, mm. it's big in, with 12-year-olds. Really? <laughs> Dude, that's the only people who are still using yeah. it. Yeah, so it's sort of like working out how to impress them. And then they're sort of like, have you met anyone famous? And it's so like putting all your eggs in one basket if you name someone because I um, I went to a literary festival last year and I got to meet Jacqueline Wilson. who That's was pretty like cool. my childhood hero yeah, yeah and Tracy I was sort Baker. of like as far as fame goes for kids hopefully that means something and it's just like blank faces oh, like, no. unless I've met and also like my references for like what what counts as fame so I'm like Beaver. I, I've yeah. not met Beaver, so what yeah. what is this um, so I'm working on it um, it's nice to be called famous in some <laughs> respect. I, I would,
0: I would consider you at at the very least YouTube famous. There we go. <laughs> there we go. The TED talk kind of solidifies you in my mind as, as YouTube famous. As soon as you've got TED talk,
1: okay, <laughs> I'll
0: take it. I'll take it. <laughs> so yeah, so I wanted to to sort of try and understand how you go from being a mathematician to being a slam poet. Yeah, like what what happened there?
1: Um, so I. I've always loved language and playing with words. And so I always used to write rhymes on the side as a fun hobby. This is from kind of 13, 14 upwards. Um, And so at school that took the form of being in various bands with mates and sort of half rapping, half trying to sing. But you know, the lyrics were what I was good at. Mm. And so that developed naturally into going to a few open mic nights, seeing people performing poetry that was just words and also seeing the variety of things that were possible in that space. And Mm -hmm. so I started performing lyrics I'd written as poems, and really enjoying the fact that people could hear them, because previously I'd done them with four of my mates, turning their guitars up full in an abandoned scout hut where no one could hear what you're talking about. Um, So that was the sort of poetry journey, but alongside that at school, I. I genuinely just love math, um, and so it's, it's interesting. I, I studied math at uni, and there's sort of,
0: not a divide in that it's sort of rival gangs, but there's a definite split
1: of people at uni studying maths who are doing it because they want to go into some grad scheme or computing or finance or, or you know, for a kind of career point of view. Mm. And then those who are studying maths for fun, which is alien to a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so I always liked maths, but I was also just like a bit of a nerd at school. I quite enjoyed a lot of subjects. Um, and so did a lot of science stuff. At one point I was thinking about studying medicine. Didn't know how that would fit with my sort of growing hobby of, of writing and performing on the side. And so part of it was thinking I want to I go to uni still. At the time I didn't feel like I wanted to study english just because i my love of poetry very much came from the performance side of it and experiencing it firsthand mm-hmm. and i didn't know if having to analyze all of the techniques involved would would ruin the fun for me i mean i know a lot of poets who have gone through that route and it absolutely makes it a more rich thing for them mm-hmm. but for me poetry was a fun thing on the side and i sort of wanted to keep it that way yeah and so i thought i still wanted to go to uni because I didn't fancy trying to make it as a eighteen-year-old performance poet with no experience fair. out of school, but I didn't want to study medicine because I didn't think I'd have time to write poems, and so maths was this weird in-between thing that made sense at the time. Okay,
0: what what is it? What what is it you love about maths? Because like I I did it at, at, at school the whole way up to, to A level. Yeah, and it was just at that 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 final little point where I was just it was just getting slightly beyond my grasp like yeah. I got like I ended up with a B but with all A's except my the last module okay. which I got an F in <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, just, I, I don't know what it was yeah. I just like yeah, yeah. hit my level of, of like understanding for it but I still like really enjoy um, I wish I could do this is like a hor- horrible confession but I really wish I could do like recreational maths where I just okay, like yeah. sit and do some algebra It'd probably be quite therapeutic have you read The The Simpsons, the math secrets of The yeah, Simpsons yeah, yeah. book?
1: I love that oh, book. It's so good, isn't it? Yeah. Especially because a lot of it is... That book made me realise there's more of a link than I thought. I I always used to say that the two weren't really linked. I like maths because
0: there's definite answers. So, I mean, on very base level, in year three,
1: we had one math lesson where it was like, here's a list of a thousand sums, see how many you can get through. And it was just, like, really satisfying to, like... Mm-hmm bang them out as as any year three does for fun Yeah, (laughs) loads of sums Um, but then yeah like you say towards the end of A-levels and then especially at uni there's another side to it that is a bit more abstract and philosophical and it's not just about being able to plug stuff into the formulas and you sort of have to think outside the box but it's that weird thing of being given certain things to to play with and use and the more you get used to it the more you can be creative within this very rich kind of thing i used to Mm -hmm. love maths because you can get it right and you can try and get a hundred percent and it was a lot more difficult to do that in an essay Mm -hmm. because that idea of perfection is a lot more difficult um and then yeah kind of treated the two as separate and used to Think I wrote poems for fun and also studying maths. And when I finished my degree, I didn't look at any maths books for a couple of years. And now that I'm doing poetry full time, I've started reading maths for fun, and it's, it's it's fully come around. But it's stuff like the uh, Simon Singh Simpson's book and there's a couple of others where it's designed to be engaging as well. Because one thing I found was that at university, and and at Edel, having a decent maths teacher makes all the difference because. I had people at uni who were brilliant mathematicians who were at the university to do research and it almost felt like they were so clever they wouldn't they couldn't understand why you wouldn't get it. Yeah. Whereas for me so much of it is about that Eureka moment where mm. it suddenly makes sense and being able to like help someone on that process is is really important. And I know that a lot of people are switched off at a certain point in maths because it's different for everyone how quickly you get stuff and so I'm really enjoying now, like you say, recreational maths for fun. I mean, I've always loved, on a simple level, doing puzzles and and that kind of problem-solving side of it. I find really fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: it's a, it's a really. I, I was kind of thinking about the the link between like the the amount of comedy writers on The Simpsons who were mathematicians, and it it really got me thinking about what what it is that, like the characteristics that make. A mathematician either a comedian or a writer and i think it's got something to do with that that almost that journey that you have to go on through like a mm-hmm. if you're working on like a really long problem or something or and you have to come like almost full circle back to the yeah if you're, if you're doing like a proof or something you're coming like full circle of that I think it almost teaches people to write story arcs, yeah. in that you're coming to like a perfect solution where everything comes together at the end, yeah. which works really well for things like The Simpsons and like sitcom TV and and poetry as well, where you're trying to tell tell a story.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think
0: I remember the first point again doing maths
1: at a later stage where it wasn't enough to just get the answer. It was sort of about how you got there and showing your proof and trying to make that elegant as well, was then, again, like you say, part of the journey, you're, you're given this problem at the start, you have to get to the end. And it's up to you how you do that. And I think it's, it's not like, I don't have a formula for how I write my poems, but the appreciation of patterns and structure and whether it's a repeating chorus or doing callbacks or, you know, trying to weave stuff together, mm-hmm. I think comes from a very mathematical place. And and I get the same excitement from a really satisfying rhyme or, you know, little subsection of a poem that feels really concise and complete as I get from doing a math problem or a puzzle that fits together really nicely. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a couple of bits in that sentence, but one that I really like is talking about a joke as a sort of sequence with an answer almost like a riddle and, and that whole thing um and the other is talking about how a cartoon's really good for it because it's about being able to stick away from logic and you're not you're not kind of restrained by real life that any of that stuff the joke between the difference between mathematicians and physicists is, is in math it can be pure and beautiful and perfect for them to worry about how hmm, it affects things and i think for me what i really love in writing a poem is you can try and make it as perfect as possible using language and being careful with it and and trying to be intricate and delicate and at the same time make something solid
0: i think yeah yeah so you're you've definitely got a really distinct style uh, in your poetry maybe that comes from your love of maths maybe that's maybe, that, maybe maybe more slam poet mathematicians so I'm sort of hoping I can corner the knee. of <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> a rival mathematician, it would be like... Carve out the, that, that market. <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, the previous reference point for me was in uh, Mean Girls, Kenny G, the mathematician slash bad SMC. Oh, like yeah. My, my the, hero. That's who you <laughs> saw yourself becoming. Yeah. Well, he had a business card that said that on it, and I genuinely thought about trying to emulate that. I'm glad I didn't, but yeah. it crossed my mind. <laughs> I can I can, I can I can, you should
0: you should go up on stage and, and you know try and incorporate his like rap into one of
1: your poems <laughs> or start like that and <laughs> yeah. yeah but also it's interesting because I the first rap I wrote was this battle of the band school of competition rewriting Jay-Z's 99 problems and making it about math. Okay. and it was just like unashamedly geeky and that was the point and it was really fun um But then when I wrote the 59 poem about the prime numbers, I was really keen for that to be accessible to non-mathematicians because I sort of thought, I love all of these nerdy bits, but hopefully there's enough of a human story in there. Not that mathematicians aren't human, but enough of a reference point for other people that whether or not you like the neat little sums in some of the lines, you can still get hold of it. And that, that poem... Was written for a prime number themed poetry night, where there were twenty five poems in a row about, in order from two to ninety seven, about different prime numbers, and I <laughs> love being given a topic to write about and having, again, it's adding in those constraints that you can work between, and mm. it's really satisfying when it comes off. and And sometimes you just end up with something that's too specific that doesn't work, yeah. out of that context. And so, in this prime number themed poetry night, there were a lot of poems that made sense on that night. But were quite felt a bit like rhyming Wikipedia articles with facts about numbers. That so if you didn't know it was a prime number, yeah, yeah, it might it quite make sense. Yeah. so I really enjoyed even in amongst that, trying to go for something a bit more story-led and trying to make those two. New. Yeah,
0: well, it's kind of a it's a thing that a lot of artists experience in that having a really small set of tools can produce the most creative outlets and the most like outside the box thinking like it was Paul McCartney actually talked about um the fact that the Beatles for the first all but the last two albums um they had just a four track recorder and the room they were in like you know they brought in instruments and stuff and sometimes they got like overdubs but they they really felt that they honed their craft in that room because it was just them and a four track and and, yeah. and and that all the bells and whistles couldn't like cloud your creative mind and, and that there's too many different options that you can choose whereas when your options are constrained you're forced to like think outside the box about like, different ways you can use what yeah. you've got well I, I know
1: well myself and indeed, a lot of poets love trying to write a haiku because it's Five seven five. That's all you have. That's all you have to work with. Or there's um, univocalisms, where you're only allowed to use one vowel for the whole poem. And often it's nonsense. <laughs> but it's sort of that thing of like within that, what can you do? And by, and, and on a broader sense, I, I think I've really appreciated that by writing and performing solo poetry. It's just the words that have to carry their own rhythm and emotion and narrative arc and all of that so that recently when I've come back to doing stuff with music I've got a real appreciation of what the words can do by themselves and so if you're adding other things to that it's got to add to the overall experience otherwise what's the point you know it's not just about throwing as much stuff in as you can but sort of making it work together I think. So
0: what's your do you have like a process? Like what's your do you have a writing routine I know some people just they, they it could be on the train it could be while they're out for a walk it could be while they wake up or some people are like really rigid they sit down they need to be in X chair with X yeah. t-shirt on And
1: <laughs> so I it's partly because I travel a lot anyway I, I've really noticed that when I was studying maths at uni any spare moment I got would be like this release of things I'd had shining in my head anyway and, and trying to get that out um, and now I, you know, do it full time. I'm so grateful, but I have more time to give to it. So it's working out how to best make the most of that. And I, yeah. So I've always got a little bit with me. Often it is like by my bedside as I'm going to sleep or wake up in the night. It's something I just think this is so genius. If I wake up and I've forgotten it it would be a shame for the world to have missed out. And then you read it in the morning and it's nonsense. And oh. it's, it's always the way. But I, so I take a notebook with me and I always make kind of scribbles so that when I do have a day at home by myself, I can then try and sort that together. I think for me, when I'm starting off on a, on a poem or a piece of writing, it's sort of a no holds bar splurge of ideas that don't necessarily all connect, but I want to get them all down on the paper so that then later on the editing process is more of a slotting together and a kind of satisfying thing. I think that's where it becomes a bit more methodical. But I I like to have a mix of both. I used to just write a poem from start to finish and I'd speak it out loud and wait for the next line to sort of come and if it feels right, it feels right. And Mm -hmm. by the time you're finished, because I, because I perform my poems out loud, uh, I do often speak them as I'm writing them, and that, that does affect it some way. But I think now that I have more time to play with different stuff, I'll often have a few on the go at once, and we'll come back. And so I'll often start with a specific line or turn of phrase, and then try and sort of fan out, and then work out how to get it back into, you know, three minutes or whatever it is. Yeah. I think Lady Gaga used
0: to say that she would splurge for like an hour or two just endlessly on the piano singing everything and then edit for two days yeah
1: (laughs) yeah it's that kind of thing Um, and yeah so I I do some music stuff as Harry and Chris that's I'm basically comedy rap but it's it's really fun then having someone else to bounce off when you're both splurging and seeing what makes sense yeah. with another person involved and it's, again it's interesting having done so much solo stuff and had complete control over it for me I know a lot of people are, are very good at collaborating with anyone for me it only works because I've, I've known Chris for so long there's a level of trust there we do words and we do different things and then letting someone tell you to edit something down you know because I feel like I've, I've been very precious and I, I even I don't really like showing poems to people until they're finished. I know other people who are happy, like, sending a draft around and asking for feedback. But I think because I've always got a certain idea in my head of what it will look like, if it's not yet there and someone sees it half-finished and maybe doesn't know where it's going, I sort of feel really weird about that. And then <laughs> So try and, like, hold it close to my chest until it feels ready, and then I'll perform it to a full of strangers or something. The, uh, so,
0: you said you got in your your TED talk. You talked about how you got like you ended up doing a was it the prime number one? Was your first poetry night?
1: Yeah, yeah. So,
0: so uh, how, how did you how did you even get sort of asked to do that? So that
1: was off the back of this ninety nine problems with maths one. Okay, I performed at school with a band at the school battle of the bands competition. That's so much fun. Um, but I went up. It was at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Is there a video of that? There is a video of us doing it in our school assembly. <laughs> is it on YouTube? It is on YouTube. I, hope, I don't know what it's called, but it's, yeah, it's there. And we're decked out in like lab coats that we made like stencils and sprayed on the back. And I'm sure there was a choreographed dance at some point. I don't think we did it, but in the song we have a. Uh, like breakdown where we, so it's me and my friend Luke doing it together because we were like the two math nerds in the school. Um, and we have a breakdown where we just recite Pi for about a minute as a homage to our math teacher, Mr. Palpiman. And this video is amazing because he's in the room and <laughs> we're And I've performed it since and most of the time it's fine because it's just random numbers, digits of Pi once to my shame i sort of lost my place and forgot oh. and then realized that no one cares and can care. but at this point doing it there's so much pressure because we could see our math teacher like counting along <laughs> after 50 digits to check sure we you go write. into 50 digits yeah, yeah. we were so what? pleased with ourselves <laughs> and uh how did you go about that sort of like memory so again that was interesting because as a writing process it's already there and it already exists mm. but I would break it down into sections. And the fact that five and nine sort of had a half rhyme and just looking for different patterns. I could, I could still do it now. It's <laughs> 3.14159, 2653589, 79323, 84626, 43383279, 8, 7, 7, So that's 51, 51, that's 51 places. places. All in little chunks that sort of matches so it so man that's like a clean to thing that
0: you can recite pi the 51 digits like let them like half wrap pie to yeah. 51 so, so, digits <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: we, so we did that in school and like loved it and it was fully like a high school musical moment where like the slightly nerdy kids became heroes because they went up on stage and just owned it
0: but I went to a show for Mike
1: and after the end of the fringe I was up there like with my mum and dad to see some comedy for a couple of days and we had an afternoon off and I now really appreciate this having performed at the Fringe we just like went to something that was free and thought we'd try it out Um, and there was an open mic and there was basically not enough performers so I thought I could get up on stage and did the Night and No Problems rap (laughs) by myself without the music and I don't think it counts as a poem because I was very much like nodding along in my head to the kind of Jay-Z instrumental that I was imagining (laughs) But it just so happened, the guy who ran this open mic was from London and was running these themed nights. So every month they had a different theme. And the one that was coming up was the prime number themed night. And so in his head he clearly thought, this guy loves maths and does poems. He's perfect fit for it. Um, and that was great because then I had, I think, three weeks to work on it. And so that so the, the reason I... To say that's the first poem I wrote because that was the first thing I wrote that wasn't designed to be done to music or anything like that and was just created to be read out loud in that space as a performance poem spoken word piece whatever you want to call it yeah but yeah so it's that convoluted journey and I don't know <laughs> if anyone else kept their prime number poems but for me I was really happy with the poem so I then started performing it outside of that context and so where, where did you go from that, like,
0: you, you finished that night, you said, did you win that, that night, did you? Yeah, so yeah.
1: I became the prime number poetry guy. Yeah. Um, and and so I was, and I loved it, and I love the feeling of people listening to every word and laughing a bit if it's funny, and you're allowed to stop and let that happen and then carry on, and actually it's not, you know, because I was listening to a load of hip-hop and rap stuff where... An element of it is the lyricism, Mm. but a lot of it is is your natural flow Mm. or sounding cool, or all of these other things that didn't come as naturally to me. You know, I love the words, and and that was the driving force for me. So I started going to more open mics, and again, seeing the different things that were possible. And so I wrote a poem. Well, originally it was a song, uh, but it was about bumblebees. And based on the story that scientists proved that they couldn't fly, or thought they couldn't fly, but they can, and it's kind of taken that metaphor. And so I had these two poems, and it was, as I was finishing sixth form, I basically had a year before going to Bristol Uni, where I went round the poetry open-mic scenes, taking it in turns to perform these two poems about Prime Numbers and Bumblebees, (laughs) non-stop. And by meeting people, I found out about other nights. And so, it was perfect timing, because I then was you know, working on a reception somewhere to earn money and just going to stuff in the evening. And so saved that money, went to America in, in that summer on a sort of Poetry Slam pilgrimage to... And just, to, I, I remember it so vividly, I just Googled Poetry Slam America very naively. The top four places that came up was Chicago, where it all started, then New York, that's got a really cool scene, San Francisco, super artsy, and Austin, Texas, for some reason, in amongst that. And so I just thought, I'll go to these four places. Having no idea how big America is. I was is, about to say, they're all nice like, and close to each other. Zooming about <laughs> the plane in between them, it felt like four different countries, <laughs> yeah. spent two weeks in each. And again, was so grateful that I was welcomed there, as the like shy awkward British kid <laughs> who, for the first time, was told that I have an accent. And you know, yeah. just like so naive. <laughs> But I loved it, and so sort of, but again, it was, because it was
0: developing
1: in terms of poetry, was entwined with growing up as a teenager, it, for me, it's hard to differentiate the two. So I sort of put a lot of developing in self-confidence to being able to be on stage at that time and be out there by myself, meeting people, because that didn't necessarily come naturally to me if I wasn't going to a percussion I had to kind of push myself out there yeah um, and so then I came back started studying maths at Bristol with this new enthusiasm of wanting to perform and actually growing up in London was perfect for going to open minds and stuff but it's a big place and it's quite hard to feel that sense of community quite as easily whereas in Bristol there's a few brilliant, well when I started there were a few brilliant nights where everyone went to each other's nights, made sure they didn't overlap and once you've done a few they're excited There's a new poet in town and they sort of take you under the wing. I mean now there's loads of brilliant stuff there so I don't know if it's possible for it to melt into that uh, but I kind of really appreciated having come from London to be somewhere like Bristol which really kind of nurtured that and then also having four years of studying where I could still call myself a student, do poetry as a hobby. Mm. And it was in my final year at Bristol that the talk got shared on TED.com that kind of helped that blow up online. So that then when I graduated, I had enough momentum and an idea of what I was doing. And that was when the book came out as well. So it all kind of fell into place. So I just about didn't fail my math degree go through, <laughs> but could go into the poetry like, full steamer heads so how, how many years ago was was the book uh so the book was december 2014 okay. so coming up to three years okay um so graduated two and a bit years ago okay um
0: and yeah so that
1: and that book was just all of the poems i'd done up until that point but because i'd been up to the edinburgh fringe twice then i'd learnt about Structuring it as an hour long show and how actually because all of it comes from an individual poem after the other and Then working out the narrative that links them together is usually I wrote this and then I wrote this and then I did this and wrote this this. but thinking about What the common themes are and how it fits together and again because a lot of it was coming from My personal experience. There's a lot of natural coming of age finding your place in the world learning to love yourself as a theme because that's what I needed to be working on myself and, and so what I really love is now I get to go into schools and perform these either to you know year 11, and six form, which is the age I was writing it, or even down to year seven, to sort of try and be like, Hey guys, poetry's fun. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just presenting it in a different you way. If you would be cool and um, be a poet magician. Yeah, and and it's inter- it depends, some of them get booked by the English department, if it's ever the maths department, they're always really keen to be like, see you guys, maths, not just maths. Um, but yeah, yeah, so I, so I really love putting the book together because again, I'd always written stuff to be performed. So the idea of putting it down on the page was quite a strange one, um, but it meant I had to go back through these old poems and, and work out which elements of it because there's certain adlibs that i'll do every time i perform a poem that feel like they're as much a part of the poem and so in the end the book keeps a lot of the introductions from the, the edinburgh shows because i wanted to give them context and having it just as a fat out anthology yeah again i think it was about me not being willing to give up that control i wanted people to read them knowing where they'd come from yeah because i didn't want and I've I've learned to relax a bit. I don't think you can necessarily read it wrong, but I I wanted people to have as much of a chance as possible to know where it was coming from. So that hopefully the poem would make more sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well there is the to to an extent people are, are always gonna find their own experiences in, in, in the words. It's the same, you know, different songs can mean different yeah. things to bits like like the, like for example Coldplay co-play to some people sound horrendously depressing and to other people like magically uplifting I, I think it probably depends on the context of, of whatever you're, you're coming from but I, know, I do I like the idea of, of you kind of contextualising what you were trying to articulate almost yeah. and what you were kind of going through when you were when you were first writing the poems because it probably helps to, to give people a better understanding of where you were coming from yeah,
1: yeah and I think And I think there's a sliding scale of, for me, still live performance is my favourite thing to do. You know, I hope people still come to gigs because it it does feel different. And then there's videos on YouTube that are quite good at capturing that, especially in a live context. If I'm ever doing a piece to camera with no one else in the room, that to me still feels awkward because I don't know where to look or whether to pause for a reaction that doesn't come or all those kind of things. And then in book form it's amazing because you're not even there when it's being digested and you don't know if someone's flicking through it on the toilet or has put time aside to to read it through for the first or second time and
0: and again i know
1: i've had messages from people especially in the states who have performed my poems as part of like public speaking competitions and that's really interesting because you know they don't need to have live my life to have that context but then they take the poem and make it their own and it then exists beyond just you know when i started it was just about word of mouth and i perform at an open mic and find out about another one and that's how it worked and and so with things like the ted talk on youtube it means i can get booked to play places by people i've never met before and it i don't know without the internet it's hard to know how I do this full time because it's yeah. so interlinked with it. Do you think that's made it easier? Yeah, I mean for me personally definitely. Just because I've always found it easier to show people what I do than tell people what I do. Yeah. Because and again it's partly now at least in the circles I'm in, more people seem to know what spoken word is or what poetry is or have some kind of reference point. When I started out it was sort of, depending who I was talking to and how interested they looked, whether I called it rap or comedy, because these were things I knew people had heard of. And it used to be that people would do spoken word or performance poetry, and then as a stepping stone towards if they were serious, they'd then go into theatre. If they were funny, it would be comedy, and otherwise it would be music, because these were transferable skills. And now I quite like that you can hopefully stay as a poet or performance poet or whatever you want to call it. And I've, I've tried to just call myself a poet when I talk to people because I used to have all of these disclaimers yeah. based on what I thought yeah, 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 they thought poetry was. And so okay. I, I, liked slam poetry as a term because I felt like it captured that dynamicism and, and the poetry slams that I went to always had an emphasis on the audience and connecting with people there and then. And I really love that. Whereas now, I know slam poetry comes with its own caveats of being of a particular style and there's a certain tone of voice and inflection that comes with that. And yeah, there really is. Mm-hmm. And again, for some people they love it, for some people they really switch off and so I don't want to just be labeled as one thing if mm-hmm. that so so to basically rather than jumping through hoops trying to get someone interested, it's a lot easier to sort of send them the TED video and say, What do you think? <laughs> And so I'm really grateful for the internet and YouTube and things like that. I think I'm also grateful that I had a couple of years just doing it live without anyone recording it first so that I go home on craft because there's not as many videos online of me just starting out that I find really hard to watch now because, you know, you're always developing. And so if if and when people ask for advice, I sort of try and recommend that they get a feel of the live setting before uploading their first poem to camera on YouTube. Because also, at a poetry night, everyone's lovely. By and large, across the board. people are kind and friendly. And actually, some poets, it's just important that they're able to go up on stage and share their poem. It doesn't really matter what the audience think of it. And they're happy to be in that space. And if you want it, people will give you feedback and tell you where to go to do other things. The internet is not as curated as that and so if you are putting something that you've thought hard about and love and care up online and someone who doesn't know you or has no connection to that sees it and doesn't like it it sort of depends on how vicious they are you've got to get ready for the hit yeah exactly (laughs) And, and so I think it's important especially for me the performance is about a back and forth with the audience and having that connection and not just being what I love about the slams is you can't just go up there and like, this is my poem. it's amazing because at the end of it they're scoring you and you have yeah. to tell it into account and some poems I love that I know won't go down well in slams because they're not punchy or direct enough or whatever and I'm not trying not to get too caught up in that side of it because I think it's important to just write for the sake of it but what a good poem should stand up well, that's the theory it? yeah yeah, and I think it's important to uh, not just write for the strangers on the internet, you know, <laughs> write for yourself and try and have at least some kind of support behind it before letting it loosen up. So if, if
0: people haven't uh, heard of poetry slams or don't understand the uh, the
1: concept, do you, to, do you want to sort of give an idea of yeah. the and like explain it? Yeah. So the reason I went on a pilgrimage to Chicago was that it started out in a place called the Green Mill Jazz Club. It was about 30 years ago. There was a construction worker called Mark Smith who basically wanted to make it more accessible to people in the audience. And, and it was against the idea that poetry was just for the literary elite or people who had studied it at a high level. And so people took it in turns to read their poems. People in the audience held up scorecards and voted for their favorite. And if you got the highest score on the night, you were the slam champion for that evening. Over time, that's become a bit more structured. And so it's normally a three minute timer to do your poems. There's five people in the audience holding up scorecards, take off the top and the bottom in case someone's biased, and you have your score out of 30. Uh, That being said, I lived in Germany for a year because of the difference in language, they often have like a seven minute time limit, And I've been to slams where they just get two people up afterwards and people cheer for their favorite. So that's nice because that takes away that moment of you pouring your heart out mm. and being given three, because that's horrible. Like <laughs> oh, man, the, the, the
0: the disparity in judging quality is, is the one weakness. Yeah, <laughs> of the yeah, yeah, definitely. And also, <laughs> you see people like you see something go up uh, you're watching. I've been to a couple of poetry slams with my girlfriend um she's a she's a, she's a poet too um and she, she sometimes she like maybe i'm biased about her but like other people and you get and it's like wow that was that was brilliant and someone gives it like a six and you're like what
1: yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're holding it upside down it's a nine and <laughs> and it's crazy and and that's part of part of the fun of it is letting go of the super competitive side of it because it's so ridiculous and someone may not get it someone may love it also the scores just generally go up as the evening goes on because people get a bit drunk like that's an accepted thing in slam poetry people talk about score creep and they talk about if you go in first you're not going to win so there's enough like reasons why it's hard to take it seriously that i think make it brilliant and i really love slams and i encourage people to get involved in them But I also encourage people to do other events, open mics, that kind of thing. And nowadays, I really enjoy getting to do longer sets because I'm not worried about whether I'm going to go over three minutes or not. And I'm allowed to do a sort of long, rambly introduction. And it's just a bit more indulgent. You know, what was good about starting off doing slams was it... speed feed the ego a little bit. Yeah, it (laughs) it forced you to edit a bit and it forced you to actually have a poem that could stand up by itself without describing where you were when you wrote it and that kind of thing. And so I really love that process. Um, and it it feels like a bit of a rite of passage. There's a lot more younger performers that do slams, possibly because older performers are fed up of people judging them <laughs> when they realize they can just do it elsewhere. But I think it's, yeah, it's a it's a good alternative, but it's not there to take the place of other poetry. I think it's a great thing alongside
0: it. Do you, how, how would you describe your like, own style of, of, of poetry, <laughs> if you had to like sum it up for someone? We'll put all the links to like your videos
1: and stuff yeah, in, in so the description. Yeah, so I... One running theme, I've always tried to write in a hopeful way. Uh, and it's partly just because that reflects my natural disposition. Um, it's also because I know that I switch off if anything is too ranty or complaining. Um, And so even if I'm talking about something that's serious, I try and be uplifting with it. And that's not always possible. And I've got poems I've written that I don't perform because they are from a different place. Um, But I think there's always been a playfulness with language and a real enjoyment of whether it's rhyme or alliteration or different things. And then alongside that, uh, I try and have an element of, of vulnerability and, and personalness in there because, again, that was just the place when I started writing and I've really enjoyed being able to be more comfortable on the stage than I am with a group of strangers in a pub type thing just because that's what I sort of grew up around. Um, so I think, yeah, trying to combine playfulness and hopefully having some kind of heart in it. And it's interesting because I'm writing now from a very different place, you know, a lot of my poems came from being that awkward teenager, finding their place in the world, and hopefully, I mean, I say I'm one of my poems, I'm not a teenager, so I can't be an awkward teenager, I'm (laughs) still pretty awkward. Uh, But, you know, I'm in a much more comfortable, happy place, and it's working out how to write from that with the same integrity and not just trying to take myself back to where I was when I started. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, there's there's a definite playfulness. Some poems are just there to entertain. But hopefully, there's enough of a, a heart in it as well that it's worth listening to more than it.
0: So, how did you end up at the the world championship? So, that was... In, was it Paris?
1: It was in Paris. There was uh, the longest running slam in the UK. Uh, it's a slam called Farron in London. The by virtue of being the longest running was the one that they approached from the World Cup of Slam because in Paris they got funding to bring poets from lots of different countries um, and again this is one of the weird things about slams i had been to local slams in Bristol where I would deservely come third because on the night I was the third best hmm. performer in the eyes of the five random judges and that's fine uh, but I went to the it's a subjective art form yeah and, yeah. yeah, and I went to the the UK slam run by Farrago because it was in London I was in London Mm. Uh, I'd won a slam the month before the month I'd qualified uh, and performed and won on the night and was then told afterwards that you get to go to the World Cup now so you didn't know before you you started I'm pretty sure I didn't I definitely didn't like take it in or think that it might happen Mm. because whatever Um, and it's interesting because there's there's a couple of slams around the UK that... there's, I mean, there's two main ones that call themselves the UK slam, and it's weird that this one is the one that sent it to the World Cup, and there's all sorts of politics involved. The um, <laughs> As there is with everything. Yeah. So I I was really grateful to get to go to Paris, and again, given how difficult it is to judge poems in the same language, was just very happy to not think about how do I make sure I get a higher score from these random French judges than... <laughs> the guy speaking Italian after me, and and that kind of thing. And actually, because it's in France, all the French-speaking poets did very well, and all of the English-speaking poets did very well, because they had at least a reference point for the language as it's being performed. You know, everyone had subtitles behind them, and certain things get lost in the nuance, and you learn to just appreciate that you're performing alongside people from all over the world. The thing you have in common is that you're Sharing poems that you've put time and energy into, and whether or not the audience get all of the references or whatever it is, isn't the sort of main thing. And, and pretty much all the performers knew that, and no one was too upset if they got knocked out. And that that's why when I when I talk about it in the in the TED talk, I try and do it in a tongue way because I can't do it without laughing and say, you know, I won the world poetry slam, so, I'm the greatest because it was down to so many things on that day Um, but I loved it and it was really fun and I got to meet poets from all around the world that I'm still in touch with and if I ever go and perform in Sweden there's a guy that I know through that who I know that I could stay with if I had to and that kind of thing so it was a real community international mountain pot fantastic event Um, and also because I won I got to put it on my poetry cv and it still sounds cool but especially then i i remember telling some people oh yeah done the world poetry slam thing and oh that sounds cool what's poetry slam and so it's sort of like as soon
0: as you're the the, the world champion or anything people just like immediately respect
1: <laughs> yeah I think so. and so it's, it's like oh they have a world cup for that that must be real yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, and i had to um this was in, in my first year of uni, and the the competition fell in the two-week period when my final year math exams could have been. Uh, and so I went to my personal tutor for maths to sort of try and get permission to go to this Polish <laughs> World Cup. And in my head, I was trying to justify it, lay out my arguments of why I could do it. And the equivalent thing I had was there was someone in our year who was going to, like, the Olympic gymnastics or something. And I was like, this is sort of like the Olympics for poetry, (laughs) So if they've got permission, surely it's fine. But what the personal tutor said was, they basically said, don't go through the uni, because they'll tell you if you want to do poetry, you should have studied English. Have you got a family friend who's a doctor who could fake you a sick note? That's a bit easier. And so, and I really appreciated that at the time. And it turns out it didn't clash with my exams, so it was fine. But it was sort of that thing of even then, seeing poetry and maths as these two worlds that clashed, mm. at least chronologically, if nothing else. That and so it's that the there's any inspiration
0: for, like, I don't know, some sort, of, some sort of poetry versus
1: maths? I think... I think or <laughs> the, more, the more I write, the more maths that comes into it, the more I think there's at some point going to be enough to theme a whole show or something around it. Because okay. again, I think to begin with, I just liked that I was involved in something that wasn't just poetry, because that then informed my writing. And again, I lived in Germany for a bit, so that was really fun to write about. Cool. That, you, where did you live in Germany? Uh, Hanover. So it's a twin city with Bristol. So I studied there for a year. Okay. Um, and again, learnt some German, and that has this weird mathematical creativity yeah, 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 to it as well. And so that was, German's was also like. very logical Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I and I love that side of it. But then it was sort of. I was almost concerned, when I graduated and went full-time, I just really wanted to still do other things. Mm-hmm. So I didn't just end up writing poems about how hard it is to be a poet and you know be very self-referential. And, and I'm really grateful I get to travel around with it and try and keep finding inspiration in other places and, and be outward-looking as well as inward-looking. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but the maths has sort of stayed more present than I'd expected. I sort of thought I love studying it and it gave me an excuse to live in Bristol and gave me enough space to write poems and then when I finished I'd never have to look at my textbooks <laughs> again. Because um, in my final year I was doing so much poetry I didn't have time to keep up with lectures and it was hard and I didn't get it and it's frustrating. And I missed year three when it was just about how many sums you could do. But I really love now not being forced to do any maths, you know, I can read around it for fun and, and take my time with it and do it that yeah.
0: way. there's something kind of artists can can very easily sort of fall into that very self-referential thing. Like, look how many films there are like making a film, yeah, exactly. Or there's that uh, Charlie Kaufman film adaptation, which is about. It's got it's got Nicolas Cage in it. <laughs> It's Nicolas Cage playing Charlie Kaufman, the screenwriter, and his twin brother. So Nicolas Cage is two people. It's incredible. Double Cage. <laughs> you, can't, you can't you can't go wrong with that. Like, <laughs> um, and essentially, it's about the film is about him trying to figure out how do you adapt a book into a film. <laughs> yeah and it's very easy to get very 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 meta in it and and i think that yeah it's 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 almost a difficult trap to escape because that's what you're living like every day if you're trying if you're trying to write
1: and when i started the blanket piece of advice was you write about what you know and especially for me that was really helpful at the time because i was listening to a ton of hip-hop from the states which very much wasn't my life and I didn't want to be writing songs pretending to be from Harlem or whatever. Like you're not Ice Cube. (laughs) Yeah. I tell myself that every day. Um, But, you know, it was important. And so actually having that and having the maths as a reference point then was really good because it gave me something to sort of ground it on. And it was interesting because when when I did the Telex Exeter talk,
0: I was so excited
1: to be invited, but I still thought that I was sort of the entertainment in between the real speakers um and so i just thought i've been invited off the back of my performance i'm not going to give a 50 minute lecture on what i think poetry is i want to showcase what i do so i picked my three favorite poems did them in order with a bit of introduction in between and when it went up on the TEDx site it was just called grand slam poetry champion because it was just about me doing my thing And then when it got shared on TED.com, they know how to make a catchy title or whatever. And they called it uh, Lonely Love Poem for Prime Numbers or something like that. And for them, the interesting hook was the fact that I was a mathematician doing poetry. And it's interesting because that's the thing I've done that's got the most traction. That's often people's reference point. And so it was only after that that I began to think of myself as a mathematician slash poet I just thought these were two things that I did and at this point they sort of overlapped a little bit and so it's been interesting working out what my identity is in both those fields individually and when they cross over and actually I love I do love maths and, and partly because it's links to that and that kind of thing I've maybe giving it more time than it would have otherwise, and trying to work out what it is. And, and it's interesting, because in poetry world, the maths makes me a bit interesting, and that's maths world, the poetry makes me a bit, You know, it's just about doing different things and having that crossover. Yeah. So rather, well, you feel you're, you've sort of...
0: the two have, have kind of merged now, that you're out, out of uni, and, and that one's not, like, a very separate part to yeah. the other. Like you're, not, you're no longer a mathematician who does poetry on the side, or a poet who you know, likes maths. You're a. Yeah, yeah.
1: I think by. I don't know what, what the, the term is. Yeah, by <laughs> virtue of actual hours I put into it, I now feel like I've gone from math student to poet. But I'd still call myself a mathematician mm. in terms of what that means to me and. And again, it's like poet or mathematician, you know, to certain people that means certain things. To me, there's things I love about both that I would hold on to dearly. I love in maths that idea of looking for answers and trying to be rigid and trying to come up with stuff that holds true in different scenarios. And it's, there's a a purity about it and it's very clean and and satisfying. and, And being a poet, there's, Again things about trying to find beauty in the world and and the two do cross over a lot and 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 I know that and when I tell people I'm a mathematician that's what I mean but to them you say you're a mathematician and that means okay I'm gonna find someone else to talk to at this point <laughs> <laughs> whatever it is and, and so it's it's just sort of learning to let go and own that and and do your thing and hope people get on board at some point yeah. what do you do you describe yourself as, as a, a mathematician, or like do you, do you enjoy like mathly or math or? <laughs> I know someone uh Michael Johnny Patel. He was in my halls at E and E, and he did maths and magic, and he called himself a mathematician which i perfect. so satisfying. I've I've seen people use that term just because they're really good at maths. It's like magic. But the fact that he was specifically using both... You look at those people and like, you're a fraud. Yeah. Show me a trick. Yeah. You're (laughs) a mathematician. That's not magic. That's just clever. I'm going to make this remainder disappear. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah. I mean, mathly I sort of enjoy. Again, it's... Anyway, the prime is fine
0: enough so where can people find your stuff and see you on tour
1: or um so stalk you i don't know <laughs> harry baker poet on instagram and twitter harry baker poetry on facebook is sort of the easiest way to keep up with it uh i've got a website harry that links through to all of that and that's where you can get my book the sunshine kid um but yeah if you search it on youtube sort of a mixture of me talking about maths and occasional rap battles that come up. Awesome. Well, thanks very much for,
0: for chatting to me. I uh, appreciate you taking the time in this fantastic venue. It's pretty
1: sweet. Hey. Yeah.
0: <laughs> thanks very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed doing the interview. I thought it was a fantastic conversation. I'm a big fan of Harry's work, so it was really great for me to get to meet him. You can find the links to all this stuff in the description below as youtube is website social media and don't forget to subscribe to us on itunes or youtube to make sure you get updates every time we put out a new podcast until next time thank you very much